Bring it in. Read option back better than ever. Um, totally blanked on this. Scotty's here. No veto today. Vito's, God bless that man's working his his ass off right now. Um, but totally blanked on this on Tuesday's pod. Tuesday was our 150th episode. I teased it on Thursday of last week or Friday of last week uh, and completely forgot to bring it up here uh this week but yeah 150 episodes in man um i'm not gonna make any sort of crazy deal about it like we did for 100th episode maybe for 200 we'll we'll get the champagne out um but still it's a big benchmark um thank you for everybody who's been along for the ride i know we still have a couple of og listeners and we've had added a bunch of new people um over the uh over the the last few weeks or few weeks, few months, years at this point. So thank you to everybody who's been along. Uh, it's been a ton of fun and we're going to keep this train rolling. So uh, with that, Scotty, how are we? How we feel about 150? I'm good. That's my age. Um, so, you know, we're, we're doing fine. <laughs> what is one, what is 150 equate to in like dog years? Like well, one, divide like, it by seven, grade? Jeffrey. Well, yes, but I, I meant all right, good point. I'm in more of like what like what grade would we say like our our podcast is at right now? Like if our podcast was like a middle school, like a, a, a kid, would be like a fourth grader. Um, no, we're probably still in preschool uh, because we're going we're going right, easy, to the moon. Easy. That's true. That's true. You know what? Never put a cap on ourselves. If we if we come up with an age, uh, then we would be putting a cap on ourselves. Uh, but no, it's uh, got a b- big week of stuff. We had our first college football playoff rankings come out. Tennessee on the top. Uh, number one, number two is Ohio State. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Clemson. Number five, Michigan. And Alabama ranked at number six in the first college football oh, playoff boo-hoo. rankings. I believe that's the lowest that they've ever been ranked in the initial college football playoff rankings. So a lot a lot of interesting stuff. Now, look, this weekend is going to change a whole bunch of that, and we'll get to our college football talk at the end. Tennessee and Georgia playing. Whoever wins that will be the definitive number one team in the country. Uh, and then depending on how the game looks, you know, if Tennessee comes in and wins a, a close one like they did against Alabama, I still think Georgia will be at least in the top six. Uh, and if Alabama, if Tennessee loses and it's a close one, then I think it's likely – that Tennessee will bump Alabama um, for that sixth spot. But again, with college football, we'll see a whole bunch of stuff happen. Uh, the other interesting news that we had, uh, NFL trade deadline this week, and I was watching college or uh, Monday Night Countdown, and Schefter was talking about, I know everybody is hoping for a bunch of trades, and there's a lot of talk, but he's like, if you're expecting a lot of trades to go down this year, I would hold your breath, all right? I don't think there's going to be a lot of movement. But- and boy, was he wrong because there were the most amount of trades at the trade deadline in the history 20? of the NFL. Was it? There was 10, 10 trades. And we'll go through some of them. That was just on deadline preview. day, though. Yes, just on, on trade deadline day. Yeah. Yes. But still a ton of trades. Uh, even going back to last week, obviously, we talked about Robert Quinn. We had the Kadarius Tony one. We talked about Roquan Smith. Uh, that one happened live as we were recording uh, on Monday. McCaffrey. <laughs> the McCaffrey trade, probably the biggest one. 
Um, but we also have some really big, like big names and really impactful players that I think is going to help a lot of teams. Uh, we'll start after the Roquan Smith, the next trade we had TJ Hawkinson staying in the yeah, division, big one. going to the Minnesota Vikings after Irv Smith. Uh, he's going to be out, which already Hawkinson's an upgrade over Irv Smith, but uh, that that makes that offense even a little bit more scary. I mean, you look at the pass catchers they have, obviously Thielen's a little banged up right now, but Justin Jefferson, Hawkinson, Dalvin Cook out of the backfield, you'll have Thielen. Um, you have KJ Osborne there as well. So uh, I, I look, it's still Kirk Cousins. So I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender because Kirk Cousins is their quarterback, but it's going to be hard to stop this Minnesota offense. And I think this is a move that solidifies the NFC North for them. Yeah, it's a move you have to make in the spot that they're in. It's it just shores up a spot that uh, on the offense in particular uh, that that needed help uh, with with the injury. So um, still not a ton of depth there, but having T.J. Hawkinson is uh, is a big upgrade. And well, then Hawkins, I mean, you look at well Hawkinson too. I mean, like I put him in that same category as where Dallas Goddard's been for yeah, like, you know, before this year, where it's like yeah. all right, God, Goddard is the number two tight end in football this year, statistically behind Travis Kelsey. Right. Yep. So Hawkinson is a guy with all the talent in the world and got fed the ball a decent amount um, with Detroit, but now he's on a contender. I think it'll, it'll give him a lot of opportunity to become to be a, a big play kind of guy. He has that talent. He was drafted in the first round for that reason. And he's been good with Detroit, but now this will, this will, I think open a lot of things up for him uh, and, Honestly, we'll make life on Justin Jefferson a lot easier too because either you're going to have to continue to double-team Justin Jefferson and leave Hawkinson wide open or you're going to you know, sacrifice a little help off of Jefferson to help out against Hawkinson because there's no question it's an upgrade. Uh, we had Chase Claypool get traded to the Steelers, which I think is just – From a, from the Steelers to sorry, the Bears. Traded to the Bears from the Steelers. I think that that's a trade that makes sense on both sides. Uh, you drafted George Pickens. Claypool, you know, he had that huge rookie year. He's been kind of meh, hit or miss there. Chicago, you want to see what you can get out of Justin Fields. Um, and I think Big Cat put it really, really well, who's a Chicago fan. You know, the GM, they didn't draft Justin Fields. They didn't necessarily know what to expect out of him. And I think Justin Fields and the ways he's played over the last few weeks has kind of gotten the attention and said, hey, all right, you know what, we've seen enough. Let's go out and get you another pass catcher and we'll open up the playbook a little bit and we'll see what more we can get. It sucks. Um, they were in a bit of a bidding war with the Packers and it was going to be a second round pick. But what's interesting is the Bears had their second round pick and the Ravens second round pick that they got from Baltimore. So uh, obviously the Bears second round pick is going to be more valuable and the Bears' second-round pick is likely to be more valuable than the Green Bay second-round pick. So they had to give up their own. They still have the Baltimore one, um, but it did get them Chase Claypool. Uh, and then a couple more. The the big-name one, I think, that happened on the, the deadline day itself, Bradley Chubb getting traded from the Denver Broncos to Miami, uh, adds a, a top-level pass rusher to that defense, uh, which has already been playing decent, but adding a yeah. – I, w I don't know if I'd call Bradley Chubb elite, but he's in that next tier below, um, kind of like a prime Brandon Graham, like just disruptive guy, good against the run, will generate a lot of pressures, uh, and will get his sacks too. He's not quite at that elite level, but then they also broke him off on a big contract because uh, his contract, he was going to be due for a, a deal at the end of this year. So Bradley Chubb will be in Miami for the foreseeable future, and I think does make that defense significantly better. 
Absolutely. But I don't get it for, for Denver, other than the contractual issues. Like I get, you're going to have to pay him, but what you give up, I mean, you, you gave up uh, a first round pick uh, or you got a first round pick, which is probably going to be uh, late twenties. Uh, if not later, the, that first round pick that Denver got from Miami is from the 49ers. So uh, depending on where the Niners finish out the year, <clears throat> which hopefully for my sake is, uh, is very good. Uh, and by all accounts, I, I don't anticipate that pick to be higher than than twenty four to or or uh, twenty five, uh, or will be higher rather than that. Um, so I I just don't I don't understand. I don't think they got enough for. Uh, but and I mean Chase Edmonds is going to be a plug and play guy, um, but you know that backfield has had so much. Uh, issues with Javante Williams going down. So we'll see. I mean, I think that, uh, it's a steal, honestly, for uh, for Miami, who's who's literally pushed all the chips to the table, as you said. They're all in. Sucks for Chase Edmonds, um, who's played pretty well for them, I guess, getting another option yeah, but- in that in that back. It's a weird trade for Denver because, yeah, you're getting somebody back that will marginally help your offense. It's just another weapon, right, another guy. But they've already had a bunch of guys in that running back room this year, obviously with Javante Williams going down, but you you took away other than Patrick Sertan, probably the best player on your defense. And yeah. I think a lot of this is they give a big fucking contract to Russell Wilson, a $250 million contract to Russell Wilson. And I understand, I think in hindsight, right. We can always, we can always point to hindsight. I wouldn't have given that much money and that much long-term and the amount of draft capital that they did. But this is a sign that like, Hey, we cannot afford to keep a guy like Bradley Chubb. And this is a team that's supposed to be what the, where the Dolphins are at, where they're supposed to be going all in because they went out and got the quarterback in Russell Wilson. And now they're realizing, hey, we need to recoup some assets. We're getting a first-round pick back, even if it is a, a 25th overall pick or a, a 20s kind of level pick for the Dolphins, which luckily for them in the AFC – the Dolphins could end up playing the Bills in the first round or play the Chiefs in the first round. And that could be the 22nd overall pick. And that well, is that really... pick is the that pick is the Niners, though. So it depends oh, on the, the Niners. Niners. Yeah. <clears throat> got you from the trail. Got you. OK. Yeah. Um, see, important information. Got to be able to trace all the back. Either way, the Niners are in the same spot, too. Yeah, you know, exactly. the Niners could, could, you know, both of those teams are in that same spot. Recouping a first round pick at any point is a good thing for an organization that's trying to recoup assets but the fact that you are seven games into your 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 season when you're apparently going for it uh and you're recouping assets already says a lot about how that front office feels about this broncos team uh and especially a broncos team that defensively has been really good and now you're taking the best player out of that broncos team and that's that's it's a bummer um and, and i feel for our guys like Vito, who are huge fans um but you know it is what it is uh, moving on here, we have uh, William Jackson Jr. or William Jackson III, who was a prize free agent acquisition a few years ago by the Washington football team, uh, Washington Commanders. And he gets dealt out. He's been dealing with back injuries. He's got a ton of money left on his deal. Um, the Steelers pick him up and get a tw- uh, 2025 seventh round pick in addition to that, which, again, I think says a lot about I mean- how difficult it was to move that contract and that player. Yeah, and kudos to to Washington's front office for parlaying that because they probably would have just released him honestly at, at the end of the year if that were yeah. uh, if they didn't get a deal done. Yeah, and they so get turning a sixth, that into what they did. They got well, a they conditional get a sixth. sixth yeah. yeah, they get a conditional sixth back. I mean, look, Pittsburgh's not in any position to compete right now. Um, 
I guess the hope is because I don't think William Jackson's going to play much this year. Uh, if he does, he's playing hurt. Um, and if you're Pittsburgh, it's like, hey, here's a guy with elite top end talent. I mean, look at James Bradbury, right? Like James Bradbury gets his big contract, does great with the Giants, and then is get deals with some injuries, doesn't get on the field as much. Uh, and then people, he ends up getting cut, right? And now he's the number one rated cornerback in the NFL, he, who has also faced the second most pass attempts in the NFL this season. And yet he's like a top five rated cornerback. Um, James Bradbury is still really, really good. And if that's the kind of thing, if you're Pittsburgh, you're taking a gamble on a guy and you're getting at least some sort of um, compensation back in terms of draft picks. So you'll take that. Uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. leaving the Niners as they now have yeah. Elijah Mitchell coming back in addition to Christian McCaffrey, obviously. Uh, and Jeff Wilson Jr. being reunited with Mike McDaniel, guy who knows that offense well. I love this pickup for Miami. I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, and in addition to that, you lose Chase Edmonds, who just signed there in free agency this offseason. He's now in Denver. You need another running back. You go out and get a guy who knows the offense and who McDaniels knows really, really well. I think it's a nice pickup for them. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, look, the, the Miami Dolphins are just the ex-San uh, Francisco 49ers at this point, at yeah. least in the running back room. They still got Raheem Mostert there in the offense with uh, with Mike McDaniel and now Jeff Wilson Jr. My initial reaction was good pickup, especially after they lost Chase Edmonds. But, uh, you know, for a team that doesn't commit to running the ball uh, as much as a Mike McDaniel offense typically does, uh, when it gets down to the stretch, I'm telling you, you're going to hate putting the ball in his hands and having a critical fumble at a bad time uh, because his ball security has been a, a, a real issue uh, over the past couple of years. So, yeah. I mean, still, when it gets down to it, you got to run the ball. And if he can't run the ball, then I don't know what to tell you. Man. But if you're Miami, essentially what happened is you traded out a 2023 fifth round pick, Chase Edmonds, a first and a fourth for Jeff Wilson Jr., a fifth rounder and Bradley Chubb. Yeah. So no, I mean, you're, yeah. and you recouped, their, their hole is great. Yeah. You recouped a fifth rounder, uh, even though they gave out a 2023 and, and the one they got back was 2025. Um, but you still got a fifth rounder back and then you give up the, essentially you're giving up a 2023 first and a 2024 fourth for Bradley Chubb and Jeff Wilson Jr. And you, you're sending out Chase Edmonds. I think that's, a really, really good trade for a team that's for trying sure. to win right now. Uh, and obviously then you're paying um, Bradley Chubb. Uh, the one that was probably the most surprising on the day, um, mainly because it has no effect on this season, Calvin Ridley, who is suspended for this season due to the uh, betting uh, stuff. And, and we went over that a lot in the spring, but for a reminder, Calvin Ridley benched, are suspended for the year for uh, illegally betting on games in terms, not illegally, but legally betting on games, but violating the league's rules on gambling uh, suspended for the season. Uh, Jacksonville gets Calvin Ridley for a 2023 fifth and a 2024 conditional fourth. I was on the record saying that I understood why the NFL suspended him. The good news is, is you're going to get a healthy Calvin Ridley next year. You're going to give an elite level, like a top 15 wide receiver level talent to Trevor Lawrence, who's coming off of a year of rest, is going to be fully healthy. I don't have any issues with Calvin Ridley gambling on it, but I understood why the league was as harsh on him as, the, as he was. And on top of that, too, you're getting a legit high caliber weapon 
for Trevor Lawrence, which is something that they need, man. And you look at what the what the Jaguars have right now. If you added Calvin Ridley into that wide receiver room with uh, Marvin Jones as your three, and then Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley, that's a really solid and explosive wide receiver room. Yeah, um, and sure I think is. I think next year, as they struggle through this year, and hopefully, again, we've kind of treated this year as the rookie year for Trevor Lawrence. Though I think the uh, window of acceptance on that for Jacksonville fans has gone down and down. I do think that this long-term is a really, really good pickup for the Jaguars. And it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously we're not going to know for, you know, 10 months what this is going to look like, but I think it's a really good pickup for them. Yeah. Let's not forget too, that uh, one of the reasons he went out was due to mental health reasons. So hopefully that, uh, you know, has been, part of the the thing that has gotten resolved with him over the past few uh few months here uh between his suspension and now but uh yeah man elite level talent uh so to to throw that into the Jacksonville offense and hopefully he does get a chance to come back on the field and play because when he's out there he's he's elite uh and he proved that in a in a short amount of time in Atlanta and so I think throwing in in that offense is going to be really great for Jacksonville agreed uh, and the last two ones, I mean, Rashad Fenton gets traded from Kansas City to Atlanta, a uh, cornerback. Uh, helps Atlanta in the short term because they're dealing with some injuries in the secondary right now. But ultimately, um, he wasn't playing at all, really, for Kansas City. So you're picking up a seventh rounder. Look, it's a seventh round draft pick. Not a ton of value, but Andy Reid, they do well in the draft, gives you another option. Um, but the Buffalo Bills make two really big pickups here. They bring back Dean Marlowe. Shout out yeah. Dean Marlowe, James Madison alumni. Um, he was playing in Atlanta, playing well. He comes back to Buffalo. He had played for their, uh, for the Bills for the majority of his career, um, spent the last two seasons in Atlanta, or I think one season in Pittsburgh and then one season in Atlanta. But he's back home with the injuries that they've had in the secondary, having a guy. Remember when this, uh, in the right before the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship game last year, Eric Weddle, coming back out of nowhere to mm-hmm. play for the Rams guy who understood that, that defense. Um, a lot of times these older safeties, the Malcolm Jenkins types guys who've been around the league for a long time, but are just really, really solid leaders and, and really un- like understand mentally what they're doing. They're big pickups. And I know it's, there's still a lot of football left. So we'll see how much football Dean still has left in them. but this is a really significant pickup. And in a lot of ways, I think it's more significant than the other move they made going out and getting uh, Naheem Hines, who they had to trade the rookie Zach Moss and a 2023 conditional sixth rounder to get Naheem Hines, which I think that's a great pickup for them. It's going to help make their offense multidimensional. I think it's going to help them uh, pass, just having a reliable pass catcher because Devin Singletary has been surprisingly really good. I think this has been his best season in Buffalo so far, but not great catching the ball in the backfield. Naheem Hines is one of those can do everything guys can run the ball. I think he's going to take at least 50% of the snaps away from Singletary because you can just use him in so many different ways. But I think Dean Marlowe is the bigger pickup for them, given the state of that secondary and knowing the teams you're going to be going up against, you know, when push comes to sub close to the postseason. Yeah, it's huge for the depth. I mean, uh, Marlowe's an older guy, uh, knows the system. Plus, you have to deal with the with the fact that you've lost your best one of you, probably your best player on defense, uh, arguably in, in Micah Hyde. Uh, for the season, and Jordan Poirier got hurt last last week against Green Bay. So, uh, huge huge depth upgrade. He's got problems in coverage, but like I said, knows the system, so he'll be able to fit in uh, just as well. And then for Hines uh, on offense, uh, it's just to me not only the pass catching ability because you drafted James Cook for that, but 
supposing Devin Singletary does get an injury, you don't want to have to rely on a rookie running back and James Cook. Uh, having Naeem Hines there adds a, a more uh, certain degree of depth there. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and that's the that's the majority of our move. I mean, which of all the moves, who do you think is, comes out of the deadline? And this goes back to, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, uh, Robert Quinn, Kadarius Toney, Roquan Smith, TJ Hawkinson. Uh, out of all the trades we had before the deadline, who do you think comes out of this as the biggest winner? I think it's the two teams that went all in. I think it's the the Miami Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers uh, because they picked up guys who, uh, you know, there's going all in and and just giving up uh, uh, a ton of capital uh, to to address a glaring need uh, is often the case. That's not necessarily what both of those teams did. I mean, San Francisco gave up a second, uh, a fourth, a fifth, and uh, and I think maybe one or two other draft picks. Uh, but we've already seen the impact that Christian McCaffrey can have in that offense. And then for, for Miami, they're already potent enough on offense. They go out and shore up their defense with, with one of the most elite linebackers in the game. Uh, and, and yeah, all in, man. I mean, yeah. it's, it's going to be fun to watch those guys down the stretch too. Yeah. Uh, I would agree. I mean, I think the bills, I, I have to put the bills in there too. Cause I think you, you sure up, like just having a guy who's been in your locker room like that, that you add mid season, that's a championship move, you know? And it's one that I think just makes a lot of sense. Is he going to be Micah Hyde? No, but Dean Marlowe is going to come in and give you stability in the one, the only weakness in that entire Buffalo team. And then Naheem Hines as well. Uh, I I'm with you. I think the dolphins, I, I am worried. Jeff, Jeff Wilson jr. He's been healthy this year, but the injury thing with him is also a factor. Um, same thing with Mostert. So you give up a lot of draft capital. Um, Bradley Chubb's having a career year this year. And before this year, he's widely being considered a little bit of a disappointed consider considering where he was drafted. But he really did come into his own this year, um, and he will help. I don't know if edge rusher is the only issue with that, with that team defensively, but it's certainly going to help. I do want to give props, though. Um, the Eagles getting Robert Quinn, I do think long-term throughout the season, we already saw him being disruptive in just 10 snaps uh, on Sunday. And I'm curious to see what he'll look like tonight as they get ready to play Houston, um, especially going up against that offensive line in Houston. The Eagles should be absolutely fine. We'll get to our preview here in a second. Uh, and then to the Minnesota Vikings. I, I, I love, love the pickup of TJ Hawkinson. Um, I've been I've held a lot of TJ Hawkinson stock for a long time um, since he was drafted. Uh, I know a lot of people like Noah Fant. I loved Hawkinson coming out. He's gritty. He will help with the run game. He will help. With I didn't the like either. Game. Well, <laughs> understandably, but nonetheless, like I, I really, really loved Hawkinson coming out of the draft uh, and I've loved him in Detroit. And it's just always felt like a really talented player who has made huge plays to try to win games, especially last year when Detroit was trying to get that first win. It really does feel like he's a go-to guy. And historically, Kirk Cousins is really good to the tight end. And he's made Irv Smith look a lot better over the last couple of years since he's been there. Kyle and, Rudolph. <laughs> yeah, right? So I think this will help a lot because I think this is the best talent that Kirk Cousins has ever had at tight end. And it makes their offense really, really fucking hard to, to guard against because – he helps you in the run blocking game. He helps you in the passing game. It's another, you know, they have two great running backs, obviously Dalvin Cook being the lead guy. 
And it's just another pass catcher in a, in a wide receiver room that already had Justin Jefferson, Thielen, and KJ Osborne. Um, I love the pickup. I love the pickup. So we'll see how much they use him, though, too, because there are a lot of mouths to feed. But as we've seen in places like Philly and, and other places this season, who and Baltimore's the same, or not Baltimore, uh, Buffalo is the same way, where you have a great wide receiving core, you have a good tight end, and you have guys out of the backfield. It doesn't really seem to be a problem, right? The open guy's going to get it and feast. That's what Dallas did last year, and, and I think Hawkinson is a is a prime candidate for that. All right. Um, before we get to our uh, preview of the week, our friends from Alliance Accounting are back. The heart of football season is here. The autumn wind is blowing. The leaves are turning different colors. And while you watch the season's turn, you should turn to the team at Alliance Accounting for all your personal and business tax solutions. Alliance Accounting has all the tools and resources you need to be prepared for any season. Their dedicated and knowledgeable team will prepare your federal and state tax return while you prepare for your family football game. Enjoy your company Thanksgiving potluck while the Alliance team provides you the bookkeeping you need to maintain your company's financial organization and success. Alliance is here to help you. And with tax day just five months away, you don't want to get caught off guard like your Aunt Linda at Thanksgiving every year. Everyone has an Aunt Linda. Everyone does. Uh, don't go cold turkey on your personal or business finances to end 2022. Turn over a new leaf this season with Alliance Accounting. Right now, you can get 10% off your first service with Alliance Accounting. Just tell them the Read Option podcast sent you. So Read Option podcast listeners, visit Alliance Accounting website at allianceacctng.com today. Or check out their Instagram at alliance underscore accounting and get that 10% off your first service at Alliance Accounting. Alliance Accounting with you every step of the way. So happy to have them back in the fold. Shout out to our friend yes. Omar there. Uh, they're going to be with us here for the rest of football season. And with that, Scotty, let's dive in to week eight, nine? Week nine. nine. Oh, we're man. over the hump, buddy. We're, ha- we're more than halfway there. <laughs> oh, don't. Technically, it won't be until like the half, like halftime of i guess there's 18 weeks yeah so it won't be until the end of this week we're almost at halfway which is crazy to think um the week starts off tonight as we're recording but by the time you guys are listening to this more than likely uh this game will already be played the 7-0 philadelphia eagles in houston uh they're gonna be there just ahead. Philly in houston <laughs> uh, they're gonna be just ahead of the phillies there we're not talking remember this is a football podcast i never said we were a baseball podcast never once said that We've always been a football podcast uh, after my Phillies got no hit last night. Game three was electric, though. Five home <laughs> runs. So we'll see. We'll see what game uh, game five of the World Series looks like. But we do have Eagles Texans right now. The Eagles are a 13 and a half point favorite. Um, this is going to be an absolute ass kicking. The top two wide receivers, uh, Nico Collins and Brandon Cooks, both are out tonight. So uh <laughs> It's going to be an easy night for James Bradbury and uh, and Darius Slay on the outside. The offensive line for Houston is going to try their best to protect uh, Davis Mills. But this is going to be an ass whooping. Uh, I took the Eagles on a big spread last week. Thir- I think it was 11 and a half last week against the Steelers, and they covered that comfortably. Um, 
The only the only way I see this going differently, uh, and if the Texans somehow cover, is if the Eagles come into this thinking it's a letdown game, right? If the Eagles come into this guard down, we're going to roll over. It's going to be an easy game. Uh, but I don't think this Eagles team is wired that way. I think they're excited at the opportunity to play a trash team, and I think they're going to eat absolutely destroy the Houston Texans tonight. Yep, I am with you, Jeffrey. The Eagles are going to fly high and redeem the game or loss for the uh, for their uh, Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series there. But uh, apart from that, I, I think this is this is an opportunity for we talk a lot about uh, about the second half stats that the Eagles have put up. Uh, right. And and it's a lot of it is game control. A lot of it is is figuring out, you know, the offense when they're when they're leading by so much uh, being so dominant in the first half. Last two week, touchdowns we, on Sunday. That's what I was just about to say is last yeah. week we we started to see them put the, the pedal to the metal and step on throats. And that's dangerous because the offense already looks dangerous. This is a night where, you know, as you mentioned, for, for the secondary, it's going to be pretty smooth sailing. Uh, and we obviously know how good they are up front uh, on, on defense. So I think 13 and a half is, is more than enough yeah. uh, for the Eagles to cover. And uh, it's worth noting Jordan Davis put on IR, so he'll be out for at least four weeks, which uh, which sucks because we finally saw an expanded role for him uh, against Pittsburgh, and he took full advantage of it. He was an absolute monster in the running game. I believe uh, at halftime, Najee Harris had four yards of rushing, uh, and we saw the most snaps played by Jordan Davis in the first half until he got hurt there in the third quarter, which or might have been the end of the second quarter. Um, but he was a big part of that. I'm not overly worried. They still have some good. I mean, obviously you have Fletcher there uh, and they're, they're at an easy part of their schedule. Right. And hopefully they'll get Jordan Davis back by the time they have to play Tennessee. Cause that's when they'll need him the most, but look, I mean, this Eagles team, they're fucking good, man. And they beat you in a bunch of different ways. And like, it, it's crazy just every single game. And I've been, I've been cautious to say this, but there's a lot of similarities to the 2017 team. Um, that team in the regular season beat you in a bunch of different ways. One way it was Carson throwing for 350 yards. One game it was, you know, uh, LeGarrette Blunt and my, and uh, you know JHIE and and all the Corey Clement running for you know 200 yards. Right? They just they always found a different way to beat you. And the defense just made plays. Right? They 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 did the small stuff, but then they made big time plays. And and that's what this defense has done so far this year. The Eagles have two turnovers. Uh, two interceptions, one of which was Jalen Hurts' worst throw of the year. The other one was a, a tip screen pass that um, hit right off of Kenny Gainwell's hands and then into the arms of a def- uh, defensive lineman. So I think that was against Washington. So two turnovers. We talked about this on Tuesday's pod. I think they've created 15 turnovers on the def- defensive side of the ball. They're going to continue this. There's nobody that I'm scared about, scared of in this uh, Houston team. Again, the only thing that Philly doesn't that would mean Philly doesn't cover is if Philly comes into this overlooking this team. But uh, I don't see any any concern of that. Or if uh, they just commit do what they've done in the early part of the year and commit to the run in the in the second half and just yeah. move the ball when they're yeah. up thirty. And I just I know. don't see this Houston team scoring against this. Yeah, well, that's Philly the defense, thing. You know? Their best weapon is Damian Pierce right now yeah. on offense. And how good has the Eagles' run defense been? No, I mean you're going to go one on one on the outside against the guys that they're – I didn't even recognize the names of the guys that are starting at wide receiver for Houston tonight. Um, O.J. Howard, probably their best receiver. Yeah, o- honestly, yeah. Um, 
And I don't think Davis Mills has looked particularly good this year. That offensive line is not particularly good. And they're going up against one of the best front sevens in football. So, uh, yeah, I like the birds tonight to cruise to an easy, easy victory. Uh, Sunday's games start off Chargers Falcons. This is a really interesting game. There's not a ton of games that really like pique my interest. This is probably the most interesting one uh, in the early slate, just because I still am not 100% sure who these teams are long-term, right? The Falcons, we know that they're a gritty team. We know they're a team that seems to just fight their way into these games. They've pulled out a bunch of wins. They've been close. I mean, there's a world where the Falcons are like six and two right now. Instead, they're sitting at four and four in first place of the NFC South. And then you look at the Chargers, who everyone had big, big expectations for the Chargers, and I don't hold anything that's happened this year against Justin Herbert or against Brandon Staley. But Brandon Staley's, you know, the, the stuff that made us all fall in love with him last year as a rookie head coach has kind of made us – it's like, are, is he brilliant or is he an idiot, right? That's kind of how I feel about Brandon Staley. Are, is going forward on fourth and eight on your own 47-yard line, is that brilliant and analytics or is he just an idiot? And or did he just play too much Madden growing up? Right. Like that's kind of where it feels like with Brandon Staley. And when you have all the weapons that they have and everyone's healthy, it looks better because you convert more of those long, you know, gutsy calls. Right. Right now, it's a whole lot of Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen re-aggravated his hamstring injury during the bye week. So likely Mike not Williams seen, is out and Mike Williams. So it's like, who is this team? No Rashawn Slater, no Joey Bosa, no JC uh, Jackson. Like, who is this LA Chargers team other than Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler? Um, I really like Atlanta in this game at home. I think the Chargers have struggled to run the ball. I believe Cordero Patterson's supposed to be back this week. I think I read that. Um, so I saw he had tweeted something that was getting a bunch of traction. I think Cordero Patterson's supposed to be back this week. If not, they've been able to run the ball regardless. Uh, and we've seen Mariota and, and some of the guys, like, they actually aired it out a little bit against a really good secondary in the Panthers, which is weird to say because the Panthers aren't good. But J.C. Horn's like advanced numbers are off the charts this year. Um, that's a hell of a lot better of a defense than they're going to be playing against L.A. this week. I like the Falcons plus three at home, home dog. Yeah, there's a ton of those this week, too. I think all but uh, three or four games, maybe. Uh, one, two, three, uh, four games. Uh, all but four have our home dogs. So uh, you know what that means. The dogs are going to feast this week, uh, but the Falcons won't because the Chargers are going to come out and, and be able to uh, to run the ball, control the clock. Uh, a lot of what, of what the Chargers offense has had to do, whether it's because of Herbert's injury um, or because they're just – they don't have the the healthy weaponry uh, is kind of dink and dunk, uh, which is what they've done for for the better part of the last three years that Justin Herbert's been in the league, but it's been successful uh, because they tried to air it out up against uh, against Jacksonville and that didn't work. So so relying on Austin Eckler on in the ground, um, especially I mean he gets him down up uh, you know into the red zone and then and then capitalizes on the score whether it's uh, via the run of the pass. So I, I think Justin Herbert's smart enough to to be able to keep this game under control and and manage it well enough. And I think they the Chargers will be able to cover on the road. Yeah. All right. So plus, you're, yeah, pl yeah. You're taking. I was going to say, pl yeah, plus the Falcons defense just got depleted. So. <laughs> well, they they lose Dean Marlowe, um, who was playing about fifty percent of snaps for them this year. Um, 
So they're just going to be banking on a little bit younger, but they also added uh, Fenton from Kansas city. So they at least have somebody who will step out there and, and, and play, but we'll see. We'll see. It should be, I, I mean, I'm really excited for that game. Um, weird to, to say, I did not think at this point in the season that I, the most exciting game of the week would be chargers Falcons, but here we are. Uh, next up, we have the Miami Dolphins on the road against Chicago. Just mentioned Chase Claypool will be there for uh, the Bears and obviously the addition of Bradley Chubb and Jeff Wilson. I'd imagine Jeff Wilson will hop in and get a good amount of snaps right off the bat for Miami, obviously knowing that offense, the terminology, um, and Raheem Mostert being there too. I think it'll be a little bit of a two-headed monster. Um, one of the nice things as a pass rusher primarily, like Bradley Chubb is, uh, is that when you come to a new team, and they talked about this with Robert Quinn as well, there's not a whole lot. Like, there's not a big learning curve. It's not like you're, you know, you're bringing in, and even for like a wide receiver, but like a wide receiver comes in, you got to learn a new route tree. And that might take a week or two to fully get comfortable with it and to learn the terminology. Um, the linebacker would be kind of one of those positions. I think offensive line blocking scheme is really tough to kind of adapt to on the fly like that. Uh, if you're a pass rusher, you get thrown in, say, see quarterback, get quarterback, right? That's all that's going through your thing. See quarterback, hit quarterback, get quarterback on the ground. That's all they got to ask Bradley Chubb to do. So I think he's going to come in and play well against one of the worst offensive lines in football. Uh, I think Miami is about to start cruising here. Um, and now that they have Tua back, I think they hit their little skid. Uh, and I think they're going to win big. Maybe not big, but I think they win by at least a touchdown against the Bears. Yeah, I'm with you again. The Bears defense depleted. Uh, they're not going. They haven't thrown the ball. That's been the weakness of Miami's defense. Uh, Miami's really good at the run. The Bears are really good at the run. So even with Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert, you don't have to depend on the run. Plus, you can use those guys to leak them out of the backfield. Those are two of the the better guys. Uh, and they did a lot in San Francisco. Was leak out of the backfield and catch balls. Uh, and so you know, even if if the secondary uh, for the Bears, which has played better again over the past couple of weeks. Uh, it, it's going to be a tough test, uh, but even if they play perfect and, and limit Tua and Jalen Waddle, uh, I think it's going to be uh, a bit more than the, uh, the five points that they're getting at home. All right, so we're both on Miami, and uh, we're going to move on here. Carolina at Cincinnati. We didn't talk about the Monday night game because we wanted to hit on some of the trade deadline stuff. Um, it's clear it's clear without Justin Jefferson, this offense definitely does take a hit. Jamar um, Chase. Sorry. Jamar <clears throat> Wrong Chase. Wrong LSU receiver. Yeah, sorry. Got <laughs> LSU on the brain. Um, without Jamar Chase, this offense is not the same. Even with T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Now we both made our picks before we fully knew the extent of the Jamar Chase injury, but I do I do chalk a little bit of that loss up to Cleveland on Halloween on a weird Monday night game. Uh, and weird shit happens on Monday night. We see it all the time. And Halloween. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's a weird Monday night game, and it was also Halloween. So a bunch of weird stuff there. Um, Cincinnati's been really good about bouncing back after bad losses, right? Uh, they've been that way for primarily the entirety of Zach Taylor's uh, tenure as the head coach. Um, and we're looking at a Carolina Panthers team here that was frisky. They beat San Francisco, or who, uh, not San Francisco, Tampa. Um, Tampa Bay, 21 to three. And now they're going to try to get a chance here to, to come back. Cincinnati's a seven point favorite. That number does seem high. Um, even in the games where the Bengals offense has looked like right with Jamar Chase in the lineup, 
they still haven't won by a ton of points. Like I'm thinking of that New Orleans game where it's like, oh, okay, like the the Bengals offense is back. I think they won that game by eight points. Uh, and the other thing too is J.C. Horn is playing like one of the top three cornerbacks in football right now. Uh, the first round pick from last year. I want to take Cincinnati because I just expect a bounce back from Joe Burrow, but I think the Panthers are frisky. Uh, I think they're going to continue to be frisky. I don't know how much of that interim head coach juice they have left, but if last week is any indication, I think they have enough to um, to keep this one close. So I'm going to take the points. I'm going to take Carolina on the road plus seven. Yeah, interesting. <clears throat> uh, yeah, this this is a weird line to me. The hook at seven and a half is is what's tripping me up. Um, oh, it's just seven. Oh, I thought you said seven and a half earlier. Nope. Just seven. Uh, just seven. Perfect. Bengals. Easy. Uh, I think they have enough in the tank. The problem is that they're not going to be able to run the ball. Uh, they haven't all year. So they got to get Joe Mixon involved in other ways uh, because a lot of that opens up, especially when you don't have Jamar Chase in the offense. A lot of that opens up what T Higgins and Tyler Boyd can do. And when Tyler Boyd has monster games, it's because Joe Mixon has a good game. Yeah. Right. And so uh, if you open that up a little bit out of the backfield, and I think they can, uh, especially because I know J.C. Horn's going to get a lot of face time with uh, with T. Higgins this weekend. Um, I, I believe the Bengals have enough in the tank to uh, to be able to, to put them up at least a score. All right. Let's uh, – all right, so you are on Cincinnati. I'm on Carolina. Next up here, we have an NFC North competition between the Green Bay Packers who are visiting – Detroit, I was fascinated as to what this line was going to be um, because with Green Bay, it's just so hard to predict. And yet the the even though I think we've all kind of. I don't want to say written off Detroit, but we all kind of have written off Detroit this year, at least from what our expectations were. We've shifted our expectations for what we thought Detroit would be. Um, they still are pretty frisky. Now they lose Hawkinson, which is a huge loss for them. They have a Monra back. The offense put up 27 points in the first half against Dallas, or uh, not against Dallas. God, my, my brain's losing it on me. Um, against Miami last week at home. They get the Packers at home this year or this week. There's not a whole lot to like the Packers didn't do anything at the deadline. They were in on Chase Claypool. They didn't get him. They lost out to the Bears on that one, which has to sting a little bit. Um, Romeo Dobbs made that sick catch on Sunday night. But other than that, like, He's been the only somewhat explosive player in that offense. The good news is for Packers fans, you're going up against one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. And you have Aaron Jones and you have A.J. Dillon. I think this is going to end up being a get-right game for uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I think they'll be able to run the ball effectively, and I think they're going to work the play action off of that. So I'm going to take the Packers minus three and a half, but I don't feel great about it. I'm not going to lie to you, Scotty. Yeah, I wouldn't either. But uh, look, we see how good – the Packers can be when they run and not just run, but move the ball through Aaron Jones. And I talked about this a lot on Monday's podcast or Tuesday's podcast is that that is where the Packers have had success when they don't have guys that Aaron Rodgers can throw to and rely upon. Uh, and then Aaron Rodgers become, or uh, Aaron Jones becomes a secondary piece. Uh, that's just an additional threat. This offense has to move through him and Aaron Rodgers in some way. Uh, it's it's going to be tough. I know that the the Lions are are not a great run defense, but uh, they can get after the ball and after the quarterback. And if the Packers decide to uh, to you know let Aaron do what Aaron's going to do, 
just trust that you have one of the better quarterbacks in the league and they'll figure it out eventually. Uh, guess what, folks? We're here in week nine. Uh, that hasn't worked through the first eight weeks, so uh, something's got to give. Uh, and I think the Lions have a good enough defensive line to be able to get to the quarterback, not necessarily stop the run. So um, it's going to be tough uh, for sledding for the Packers. Again, I think they're 0-4 in their last four games on field turf against the spread, that is. 0-4 hmm. against the spread in their last four games on field turf. So I will take Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions to cover the spread. How about you pulling out turf-based <laughs> records right now? Man? That's right, you're, yeah. You're you're in some deep corners of gambling if you know that. Kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a that's a veto type of stat. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see, we've got a few more games here in the one o'clock window before we take a break. Up next, we have the Colts and the New England Patriots. Right now, the Pats are five and a half point favorites at home. The Colts just fired their offensive coordinator. It's going to be another week of Sam Ellinger looks decent in that first game, but this is one of those that it's going to be Bill Belichick and Bill Belichick's defense going up against a quarterback, making his second career start. Um, I, I got to tell you, man, that's not historically speaking. That's not the a great matchup for the second year quarterback, Sam Ellinger. Um, I, I want to pick the Pats, but I will say this line at five and a half is a lot. Now, the reason I'll probably lean with the Pats is the running game has been good. Ramondre Stevenson has been really good. They've been able to move the ball pretty well. And this Colts defense is kind of a sieve, man. There's just not a whole lot there. Now, look, they slowed down Tyler Taylor Henneke um, and, and almost ended up beating Washington last week, which is an argument for potentially, you know, hey, low scoring game. They'll keep it within a score. But. I think this is one of those games where the Pats win big because I think the defense makes a bunch of plays, get some turnovers. I'm going to take the Pats here, minus five and a half. I am too. The defense is a problem in Indianapolis, and the the fact that you have Sam Ellinger at quarterback wouldn't be a huge issue, um, but it is when Jonathan Taylor is as banged up as he is, and you just gave away Naeem Hines. Look, Deion Jackson's a great uh, uh, secondary option out of the backfield, but Jonathan Taylor being banged up, they're just going to key on him. That's what Bill Belichick offenses do, assuming he plays, by the way. Uh, and, and so that's just what Bill Belichick's offenses or defenses are going to do. Uh, they, they're going to make him, uh, Sam Ellinger, look a lot like Zach Wilson did last week, I think, uh, on the field. Plus, the Patriots are 5-0 and in their last five games in November, so I'm on the Patriots. All right, both of us on New England. Uh, moving on now to the Buffalo Bills going to MetLife Stadium to take on the New York Jets. We said this before the pod, before we were recording. It's crazy how all year people are like, oh man, the Jets, really fun, plucky team, right? They're they're five and three. They were five and two before last week, right? Man, they're they're a pretty good team. Like, how far can they go? And then less than a week later, they get matched up against the Bills and they're 11 and a half point underdogs at home. Right. Like this is this is what it's like. If hey, fun Jets team, good defense. I got some fun weapons. Um and yeah, you go up against the best team in the NFL and you're going to be an 11 and a half point underdog. Uh, I think this is a shellacking by the Buffalo Bills. Um, the Jets, uh, Zach Wilson is a problem. Um, I I've hated some of the stuff I've heard out of him in press conferences. If you're a Jets fan, I think you have to be worried. Uh, the offensive line is really where the Jets took a turn. Elijah Veritaka works. They did not get enough credit for making a fantastic draft pick. And I loved him coming out of USC, but um he was so important to that offensive line 
And that offensive line was a huge reason why they were good because it opened up creases for Brees Hall to explode through. And I like James Robinson, but you're going up against one of the best defensive line units in all of football. I think this is a big Von Miller game. I think they forced Zach Wilson to throw two or three picks. Uh, and I think the Buffalo Bills come back and they win big time here in East Rutherford. Same yeah. old Jets uh, and the Jets continue to slide down. I'm going to take Buffalo with the minus 11 and a half. The mayors of New York, the Buffalo Bills. Now, I, I, all of the logic points to that being the case, but I, I don't know, man. This, this might be tighter than, than people think. Uh, tighter than the 11 and a half for sure. Uh, and I think the hook is is one of the problems. Uh, 11 and a half last week against a terrible Green Bay Packers team, uh, and, and the Bills didn't cover. Uh, they won by 10. Uh, on top of that, uh, the Jets are 5-1 and one in their last six home games against a team with a winning road record. Buffalo Bills have a winning road record. I'm going to take the Jets at home, reluctantly. I want to go back. To let's, cover. Do, let's do this real quick before we move on. I want to count the amount of times you've taken the Jets this year. Probably a lot. I think it's every week. There's uh, last week you did, the week before that you did, the week before that you did. That's three. Oh, man. Um, You took Miami in the game there, so that's one that you didn't. Took them the week before that. That's four times, five times. Got to go back here through some notes. So you've taken them six times. Oh, wait, sorry. that We got one more week to go through. You've taken them six times this year. In nine games. I think that's the six games. times that they've covered. How about that? I believe – well, no, because you took them last week and they didn't cover. But um, Six and one. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we all took Baltimore in week one when they got smoked. Um, but, hey, you, you've taken them – Six out of a possible eight weeks so far, you've been on the Jets, and uh, and you're six and six and two, seven and one, six and two. Yeah, J E T S. So I just I felt I was gonna say I was like I feel like Scott's taking the Jets every single week, and uh, you almost numbers, have. Dano. There's only numbers. been one. There's only been one week this year that you haven't taken the Jets. So how about that, huh? Uh, all right, next up, Minnesota Vikings going to the Washington Commanders. We did not touch on this as part of our news dump, so we can touch on it here a little bit. Um, Dan Snyder reportedly on the move to potentially sell the team. Now, I will say this. Good riddance. I am not an NFL insider. Shocking, I know. Uh, But I've I've worked with a lot of people who, who break major stories in sports. And I know a little bit of what it's like on the back end, right? And I know how specifically guys like Schefter, Ian Rappaport, Shams, Woj, um, in, in the NFL or in the college football side, your Nicole Auerbachs, uh, Adam Rittenbergs, those those kinds of people, Pete Thamel, when when they break big time stories, they choose their wording incredibly carefully, and they'll emphasize certain things. Um, and the fact that Rappaport and Schefter both. Uh, both on air and on Twitter re-emphasize the idea that this is not a partial sale that they're looking at. This is for a wholesale um, or didn't say part, didn't say that, but we said this would like a wholesale is on the table, right? Like the way they phrase certain things 
that means a lot. They don't drop those little nuggets. They don't say those or add those little things if they weren't in, important. Um, or if they didn't have more sourcing to, that tells them stuff that we are not privy to as the public, this sale is going to happen. I feel incredibly strongly that this sale is going to happen. Uh, and the timing of another um, legal investigation from the state of Virginia coming out about four hours after the Dan Snyder news dropped from Schefter and Rappaport, it says a lot about the likelihood that the commanders are going to have a new owner here within a year. Um, I would expect this to be an off season deal um, barring anything crazy. And look, this is a way for the NFL to have their cake and eat it too, right? The NFL, it's no secret that the owners want Snyder out, right? We saw Jim Mercy talk up, you know, publicly, the only people who really have been in Dan Snyder's corner or only person is Jerry Jones. And that's because Jerry Jones loves to have, a guy to beat up on and another team that he knows mm -hmm. is run like shit. Plus all these owners, especially in his division, <laughs> it's a, it's a distraction. It's like, Hey, focus on that other piece of shit. So you don't notice how much of a piece of shit that I am. Right. In addition to the fact that, Hey, we play in the same division. The fact that we have an incompetent owner helps my team win two more games a year. So yeah, we want to keep Dan Snyder around, but the majority of owners and the league has wanted the Snyders to sell the team. Um, they likely will sell the team and they get that, which I think makes everybody happy, but they also will do it without having to set the precedent of the commissioner yielding the power that Adam Silver did in the Donald Sterling case for the Clippers, which is when Adam Silver did that to Donald Sterling and forced him to sell the team uh, and suspended him uh, and banned him from all NBA related functions for the rest of his life. That was an unprecedented move. And Goodell and the owners wanted everything to do in their power to prevent them from ever having to make the same kind of decision. And in this case, the NFL is going to get Snyder removed without having to cross that you know, precedence threshold and set a new precedent that says, oh, by the way, the commissioner has the power to do this. Uh, and so on one hand, it's great. Dan Snyder, please let the door hit you on the way out fuck off um however it would have been nice because i think the nba is actually better for the donald sterling news and the fact that adam silver has that ultimate power that when shit like this comes out we have the ability to kick you out of the league um and i think that would have helped the nfl too i think it would have helped check the powers that the owners have so well, yeah agreed but at um, every we'll turn one. Right. We'll take one. We don't need both, but it would have been nice for that precedent to have been set too. But I don't think Goodell would have ever had this, the spine for that. No, of course not. I was just about to say at every turn, whether it's a player uh, for, for something off the field, uh, what the Deshaun Watson thing this year was a, is a prime example, but he's been yep. doing this for, for the better part of 15 years, folks. Like, did you really think that he, it, it was going to change with him? No, he's a coward. It, it's, it's ridiculous. And and it's just another in a series of cowardly moves uh, from the commissioner's office in New York for the NFL. But hey, uh, again, Snyder being out huge uh, because I, we, you and I, Jeff, both live in the in the Washington D.C. area. We know tons of people who are who are Washington Commanders fans, and uh, they have no nice things to say about their owner or their ownership group. So, 
No, and um, good riddance. I, and uh, and I hope the door hits you and you get hit with a ton of criminal charges because of the investigations that are going on within your organization currently. I hope so, too. And ultimately, that'll be the, the you know, the. The best form of justice would be you lose the team and you get fucked that way for rich people. It very rarely works that way, especially people, the level of rich, because look, Snyder's still going to sell the team, make four billion dollars. I mean, what the, what was it that the Broncos just went for? Four point five billion, five billion, right? Snyder's still going to make out with a shitload of money. He's going to have a crazy amount of legal costs and everything else, but he's still going to walk away with more money than he had when he bought the team. Um, I think for him, it's more of a pride thing. I think it's more of a, you know, shit like, and then again, fighting to make sure he doesn't go to prison um, or at least paying off an insane amount of, of fines and everything else that I'm sure he's going to get, but he's still going to walk away with a giant yacht. He can go take to the South of France and be a happy little camper being a little piece of shit snake that he is um, on the note of Goodell. Look, I don't like Goodell. Nobody likes Goodell, but you could put a scarecrow with a talking piece and a goofy hat out on draft night and could say, that's the commissioner. And everyone would hate that guy too. Right. Goodell's job is to serve the owners. And this is why my thing is, it's always like, we can shit on Goodell because he's the one that is the little, you know, for lack of a better word, the little bitch who does exactly whatever the you know owners ask and tell him to do, but that's his job. Right. And so he's a shield. He's a human meat shield. That's designed to take the brunt of all of us to sit there and go, what a coward, what a little bitch, what a pussy. We fucking the hate shield, this guy. The shield that protects the shield. How about right? that? Yeah. But essentially what he is, is just a way to deflect hate towards the owners. Um, because everybody for the most part likes their own owners. I love Jeffrey Lurie, right? I've no reason to dislike Jeffrey Lurie. But at the same time, I'm sure there's plenty of information that somebody who knows his whole life story and everything he's done, if they could tell me, hey, here are the shitty things he did, that would change my opinion on it. Because that's what all of these guys have mm -hmm. done. And we don't, for and I've never understood this in sport, we love to blame the athletes. We love to blame commissioners. We love to blame agents. We love to blame fans. We never blame the fucking owners. The owners are the ones who are the billionaires. Like we always want to blame the billion or the millionaire instead of the billionaire because the millionaire wants more money right the amount of arguments with the world series going on i've had lately about bryce harper and oh well he he was a traitor and he left washington so it's he left because the owners didn't talk to him for four months after the season ended when he was entering a major contract negotiation yeah. and then they lowballed him and had no other further communication from there. If your boss did that, when you were in, and you were in his position, he wanted to come back to Washington, but yeah. Washington treated him like shit. The ownership did, but everyone wants to blame Bryce Harper because he's the one we see on TV and he's the one we see on Twitter and he's the easy target. But the fact is blame the fucking owners and this is one of those scenarios where everybody collectively hates Dan Snyder. Again, another version of a human meat shield where, again, look at him and look at what a piece of shit Dan Snyder is. Don't pay attention to Jerry Jones and the oil situation in Texas. Don't look into any of that. Cowboys, right? That's what we care about. So it's fascinating. It's a good thing Snyder's gone. I wish they would have eventually had to call his bluff and forced him out. But I don't think it ever was going to get to that point because I think Snyder was going to build himself a big enough grave. And I think the league bet on that happening, and it did. All right. All of that being said, the Washington football team, or commanders, commanders. Uh, <laughs> will be playing a game this weekend, and they will be hosting the Minnesota Vikings. Um, 
by the way, last note, I, I know most people said this is a joke, but I saw a few people on, on social media actually saying this is a real thing. Taylor Swift left off FedEx field on her stadium tour um, that she just announced that everyone's like, Oh look, Taylor Swift is a fuck off. I hate Swifties. If you're a Swiftie and you listen to this pod, I don't think there are any of you, but uh, we not- have one that's a host of the, or a co-host of this pod. Well, so. well, he needs to actually come up to a pod or come onto a pod for, for that, for that conversation. Defend yourself. Yeah. Yeah. If Vito wants to defend himself, we can, uh, we can have that conversation, but he's got to do it on the pod. Um, Minnesota adds TJ Hawkinson. They're a three point favorite on the road. I feel like this is a weird line. I don't know why this is, this is the rat line of the week to me. Um, what do they know? Yeah. Because I feel like Minnesota, I mean, look, I don't, I think I still think Minnesota is a little bit of a fraudulent team, um, but that's only because of Kirk Cousins. Now, again, we have a Kirk Cousins revenge game. Um, has Kirk Cousins played Washington since he's left? I don't know. Let me look. I don't know if he has either, um, but that'll honest because here's the thing. What does a Kirk Cousins revenge game look like? Vanilla ice cream. Yeah, right. It's like, hey guys, we won. We're gonna go. We're gonna get some ice cream Sundays after the game. Um, I I don't know. Like, I don't know if he's the kind of guy that has the comp. Like, he's obviously a competitor, but like, oh, first time, first time we're yeah. gonna see Kirk Cousins against Washington. Um, I don't know. M- maybe maybe Kirk Cousins got his a little bit of that. You like that in him uh, in this game. So I I mean, all in all, the Vikings are a better football team. Um, the defense is better. Offense is way better. I'm curious to see how much of Hawkinson we see this week. Uh, the cornerbacks for Washington have either been really, really good or have gotten lit up for a million yards. Uh, I feel like Minnesota needs an ass kicking. Um, cause last week they weren't over, they weren't super convincing the final score. I think they won by 10 against Arizona, but Arizona was in that game all the way to the end. Um, it wasn't until that muffed punt that really kind of ended up fucking Minnesota over. So, I'm going to take Minnesota here simply because I feel like they they need a they need a big time win here and this is a good spot to do it. Yeah, shame we can't go to this one, bud. We both have stuff going on this weekend. I'd love to go sit up at the top and watch Justin Jefferson run routes all day. God, yeah, um, right. <laughs> but doesn't that sound fun? Good Sunday and the weather's perfect too. Uh, a weird November game where it's going to be like 70 degrees. So, um, <clears throat> I. Uh, I'm with you. I think the the Vikings are a better team, but this line to me indicates there's something we don't know. And I think that uh, part of that is how well the Washington defense is played. Part of it is the wild card of having Taylor Heineke back there. How dare you not trust the green lizard again? I'm going to Washington's five and zero in their last five games against the spread in November. Uh, they're a good November team, just like the Patriots are. So I'm going with the Washington commanders. Yeah. Um, Chase Young returns this week too. First time we'll see Chase Young this year. Oh, um, but Minnesota's offensive line has also been really good this year. This is probably the biggest test that they've had, at least since the game against Philly. Um, be an interesting game, but either way, it's not a huge spread. And Minnesota is just objectively a much better football team than Washington. And with everything going on in Washington this week with the ownership, I mean, who knows? That team might hate Dan Snyder enough that this actually gets them jacked up for the game. Or it's going to be such a it's distraction and they're answering questions all week that it's just a pain in the ass and they're not as ready for it as they should. Either way, um, two wins from Heineke seems to be the max before we have a classic Heineke throws four picks kind of game. So I'm leaning towards that. Uh, last game in the one o'clock window, at least for our East Coast listeners, 
Raiders Jaguars. Now this is the other game that I'm really interested in, but not because I not because I think it's going to be a really good football game, but just because I these are just two really fucking weird teams. Um, the Jags. I I feel like the Jags have to be closer to the version we saw through the first three weeks than the version that we've seen since then. But there's not a whole lot that tells you that. Now they are coming back from Denver, which hurts. But you also have the Raiders coming cross country. Um, so both teams are going to be jet lagged. Both teams are going to be playing in, you know, so I feel like that kind of cancels each other out. Um, I was starting to become really high on the Raiders before last week, and then they just get absolutely shut out. There's no way they can get shut out and keep that offense slow again, because even if we don't love the offense, they do still have Devontae Adams. They do still have Darren Waller, even though I know he didn't play last week. And they have Josh Jacobs, who's been running well this year, and the Jags are not a great run defensive team. Raiders minus one and a half on the road. I want to take Jacksonville, but I'm going to take the Raiders, have another bounce back here, um, and continue to just be one of the weirdest teams in the NFL this year. Yeah, that's all true if you don't have Derek Carr throwing the ball and running that offense. And so I think that's the the Achilles heel on top of which the Raiders defense has just looked atrocious over the past few games. Uh, They're going to have a a tough time defending uh, not only the receiving core of of Christian Kirk, who can burn you, uh, Marvin Jones Jr., but ATN has looked really good catching the ball out of the backfield over the last two weeks. And then obviously last week running the ball with 156 and a touchdown in the London game. So uh, I think there's going to be a heavy dose of ATN. Uh, I think they're not going to ask Trevor Lawrence to do a whole lot, g- considering how good the uh, the uh, Raiders' defensive line has played uh, for the better part of the year. Um, I like Jacksonville in this one. I'm going to take them against the spread to take the points. I don't. Th- I don't know if they win uh, just because at the end, you know, Daniel Carson. It's is only about a one and a half point spread. So yeah. unless they win by one, um, yeah, or or lose by one, um, you convince me. I'm taking Jacksonville. Oh wow! Yeah, I switch. Um, no, ETN has been really good. The Raiders run defense is terrible. Uh, this feels like a spot that the Jags bounce back. Cause I, I just, yeah, I that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's one of those games I'm really interested to watch because I just have, it feels really unpredictable. Um, and I'm probably going to regret taking Jacksonville, but and switching, but here we go. That's, that's what it is. All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. We have four more games to get to. Uh, we'll get to them right after this quick break. All right, four o'clock window. Uh, we only have two four o'clock games this week because uh, we have six teams on buys. Those teams are the Browns, Cowboys, Broncos, Giants, Steelers, and Niners. So two four o'clock window games, and then our Sunday night and Monday night matchups. Sunday at four o five p.m. Eastern time, the Seahawks and the Cardinals. This is a are you real team for the Seattle Seahawks right now? They're two point underdogs on the road at Arizona. But this is a big test for them, man, because Arizona has looked good with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I got to check. I don't know the status yet um, for uh, the, the 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 rookie cornerback for Seattle, um, whose name is Woolen? escaping me. Uh, yes, Woolen. Um, right now, I uh, don't see him on the injury report, at least on the condensed ones. Let me get to the full one up here. But he is a big factor in this, Tariq Woolen. He's played really, really well this year. And obviously, you're going up against DeAndre Hopkins, who they've been force-feeding the ball in Arizona. Uh, it'll be interesting to see just how much um, they're able to do that or continue to try to do that. 
Um, yeah, right now, no Tariq Woolen on the uh, injury report for Seattle, which is huge for them. Uh, they do have a few other injuries to take note of. Uh, Noah Fant, Marquise Goodwin, Tyler Lockett, uh, DK Metcalf, but um, both of them played last week, and I would expect both of them to play again this week. Uh, I, I'm rolling with the Seattle team, man. Uh, the Cardinals defense is not one to particularly hang your hat on, right? And Kenneth Walker's been able to run the ball really, really well. And the deep shots that they can do, the defense playing better and better. Pete Carroll has this young, hungry, exciting defense. Uh, and the offense for Arizona just is just Kyler Murray. We talked about this on, on Tuesday, but Kyler Murray just playing backyard football, just scrambling around, trying to make, you know, chicken salad out of chicken shit. And there's no cohesion whatsoever. And the Love Seahawks, a good chicken salad. <laughs> not when it's made out of chicken shit, though, Scott. That's true. Yeah. And right. the Seattle offense knows ex- the Seattle team knows exactly who they are, right? They're going to dink it. They're going to hit those intermediate routes. They're going to take their shots downfield. They're going to be able to run the ball pretty consistently. And then defensively, they're starting to get after the quarterback, Bruce Irvin coming back and playing some snaps for them at the end. Um, And I I really like what they have. So I'm rolling with Seattle as a two-point underdog on the road. Nope. They're terrible in the division, terrible in November. Uh, 0-5 against the spread in November. And and, uh, oh, I'm sorry. They're 6-0 in November. That's a terrible stat. 0-4 uh, in their last four, though, uh, uh, again, <laughs> against the spread in November, and uh, and the Seahawks are one and nine in their last 10 games after getting 90 rushing yards, uh, in the previous game. I do think Kenneth Walker can make a bit of a difference, but uh, look, Kyler Murray is going to, to be a problem, um, um, and you know, as, as long as he can keep uh, keep plays alive. And uh, and making explosive plays with his legs, him with the arm. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins back is huge. Um, all of that is to say that would be great, and that's what I would have said if the Seahawks weren't winning this game outright. Uh, and Seattle is going to win this game uh, by by a lot. Uh, Seattle's, uh, like I said, six and zero in their last games in November, uh, and, and they're they're just going to be a good team. Uh, uh, Kenneth Walker is going to be able to run the ball a lot. Uh, and then on top of that, like you said, you got Gino making plays back there. DK and, and Tyler Lockett are going to be healthy. Um, and I think that defense is is a lot better than people think. So uh, unless Kyler has the ability to wear down 11 guys on defense uh, with his running ability, and I don't think that he does because he's proven that he hasn't, I think Seattle uh, wins this one comfortably. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Uh, I was going to say, you said the important stat there, 6-0 and in November. Uh, in their last six games. Uh, and as an underdog here, all they got to do is win. Spreads don't matter. You can be one and nine against the spread uh, and, you know, your last 10 games. But if you're an underdog, you know, or if you're if you're the favorite in all those and you still win, who gives a shit, right? You know, uh, so I, I'm with you. Seattle's going to win this one. Uh, 425, another game that we would have been really excited for, um, similar to one last week. And, and Scotty, you brought this up before the pod. This was another one of those games that we had on our preseason, you know, when the schedule came out, our, our hype list, where it was like, hey, what games are we excited for now? Rams at Bucks. Tampa Bay is a three-point favorite at home. Um, this is also going to be uh, – I'll tell you guys now, this is where my prop bet of the week is going to fall as well. Um, both of these teams are in trouble. Neither offense looks good. We have a banged-up Cooper Cup who's going to be – if he does play, he's going to be playing injured. 
the Bucks offense looks completely stagnant. And the one thing that they have been able to do somewhat consistently is run the ball, but you have Aaron Donald going up the middle there against three backups. And uh, I believe two third stringers at both guard and center position. I think this is a big day for the Rams defensive line, uh, particularly for Aaron Donald. Um, I don't see Tom Brady moving the ball much at all in this game because he's, they haven't yet. And I know the Rams defense uh, as a whole isn't as good as it was last year, but they still have guys there. Um, you're going to have Jalen Ramsey matched up against Mike Evans, which I think favors the Rams right now. Um, so I right now I'm going to take the Rams plus three on the road, uh, but also my prop bet of the week is under the 42 and a half, which I've taken a lot of unders this year and only I think two have hit so far. And I hate picking the unders, but I just don't see, barring defensive touchdowns, I don't see enough points scored in this game. So I'm taking the Rams and the unders. Yeah, it's a hard position for me to be in as a San Francisco fan. On the one hand, I came away from the game last week being like, you know what? The Rams are not good. They're three and a half players there. And I I would argue two and a half players. Uh, They're uh, Cooper Cup, who's now banged up. They're Aaron Donald, who gets neutralized because he's the only effective person on that defensive line. And uh, half of Jalen Ramsey when he shows up and decides that he wants the ball out. And that's it. But on the other hand, I'm like, hey, uh, I I need the Rams to be good for me to justify how good the 49ers are uh, after that last week. Uh, And I think they do uh, get the job done here. I think they have enough on offense, even if Cooper Cup is banged up. Uh, I think, you know, the... That the the Bucks are just in a bad spot right now uh, for a, a team that needs to get going. Uh, like like I said on Tuesday's pod, they need to get going rushing the ball, uh, and they haven't done it all year. And the 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 few drives that they started with it uh, in last Thursday night's game against Baltimore was successful, and it opened up a lot. And then they just shied away from it uh, as yeah. as if it didn't happen. And so uh, it's. It's all to say that they they need to do that more, but this is a tough defense defensive line in particular to be able to run uh, or establish the run against. Uh, the underdog is twelve three and one in this series against the spread, uh, but I am going to take the favorite in this one, the Los Angeles Rams at on the road in well, Tampa the, Bay. The Rams are the underdog. Rams are three point underdogs. Oh, uh, yes, I, I wrote that wrong, man. The Bucs are three-point <laughs> favorites. That's weird. So, yeah, you're me. getting the A. Look at that. Six-point swing for you there, Scott. Yeah, um, I sounded like a genius when I didn't mean to. You can do an alt spread there, you know. But how, how crazy is it to think that if two months ago we were talking about this, that there's a possibility if what you think ha- it predicts happens this week where Detroit beats Green Bay and the Rams beat Tampa Bay, that – Two weeks in a row? Well, that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers would both be three and six. Wow. It's it's crazy after nine weeks to think that that's, that's possible, but that's kind of where we're think, at here. You think Tom Brady is like looking around Tampa being like, and this is where I took Giselle the first time that we uh, we moved to Tampa? Probably not. I feel like their marital problems probably started happening long before he was even in Tampa. Uh, okay, Bay. yeah. Oh, there you go. I, who knows? Are, are we even confident Giselle's ever been to Tampa Bay? Oh, that's a good point. You know? Who's... <laughs> Who's there? I mean, have you ever been in the same room with her in Tampa Bay? I haven't. So who's to say if we can confirm or well, speak for yourself, buddy. All right. All right. Easy there, Tiger. All right. Uh, <laughs> we have Sunday night game Titans Chiefs, which I was excited for until all of the reports this week about Derrick Henry not practicing. 
uh, comes out. Was it today or yesterday that Derrick Henry dealing with a foot injury today as we are recording? That's why he hasn't practiced all week. Um, I hope it's not the same foot or maybe I do. I don't know. I mean, it would have got two of them. What's what I mean? Because if it's the same foot as last year, at least they they fixed it and they it should be better. It's probably not a Liz Frank. If it's a Liz Frank in the other foot, then that's troublesome. Uh, just, you know, five days removed now from uh, Derrick Henry running for 200 yards and two touchdowns. Um, I was excited for this, but now we have Kansas City minus 12 and a half. Not sure what uh, whether or not we will see Ryan Tannehill or not, which um, that will also determine this line significantly. Um, Tannehill is listed as questionable. I feel like he's probably going to make the start, but he's probably going to play banged up. Um, Kansas City – Kadarius Tony, they got a new toy there in Tampa Bay. He also had a couple weeks to learn the offense with them on their bye. Look, it's really simple. Andy Reid versus the bye, you take it every single time. He's 19 and three in his career against the bye. He, I don't think he, it was until like his second or might have been his second to last or his last season in Philadelphia that he had ever lost against the bye. He was undefeated up against there. Um, this is going to be a, a big time Sunday night blowout by the Chiefs. I know 12 and a half is a huge line, but. I will take Kansas City after a bye, Andy Reid after a bye, 10 days out of the week, and I know there's only seven days in a week. So that goes to show you just how um, in I am on Kansas City this week. So give me the Chiefs, minus 12 and a half. I'm with you too, and they just, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to me that I'm looking at, at, at data and the public is favoring the Titans. I'm assuming it's because of the number. But just this is not rocket science, folks. I'm sorry. And we were just talking about this when it comes to baseball. It's like uh, you can do all the advanced metrics and analytics and, and data science that you want behind the scenes to make an informed decision on. Uh, we were talking in, in context, it was whether or not to to swing on a first pitch after like two walks in a row. And the metrics might suggest that you could, uh, but it's just like a, a step away from the numbers and be like, a person and like, yeah, obviously this is not a scenario where I should swing. This is the same sort of thing. Like, what are we doing folks? The It's a big number. I get it. But like it's Andy Reed, it's the chiefs after a bye. It's Patrick Mahomes against what I think is a really good defense for the Tennessee Titans. Let's not, let's not disparage no, them at all. Me neither. Uh, I, but, was, I was excited because I wanted to take Tennessee this week. Yeah. Like I yeah, saw this I, line, I, just, I saw this game earlier in the week and I was like, I want to take Tennessee this week. Yeah. I, I don't think, you know, especially after a bye, this is a stretch where Patrick Mahomes uh, has has taken over. Um, and this is a stretch where he's going to have to because, you know, the AFC is going to get tougher and tougher. We saw Miami make a couple of deals uh, to get better. Uh, Baltimore got better. Uh, and so I think the the Chiefs have have the, the pressure on them. And they made a deal too. Kadarius Tony uh, is, is hopefully going to be able to help them out. But it's not rocket science, folks. 11 and a half is big, but it's the Chiefs. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if I can pull it up quickly here because I kind of want to take Kadarius Tony to score a touchdown on Sunday. I'm pulling up FanDuel now, see if we can get a, a, whatever the odds would be for a, an anytime touchdown for Kadarius Tony. But I feel like that will be a good spread to take, or a good a good you know prop bet to take there. Um, it just feels like an Andy Reid move. You go out and get a new wide receiver, right, and then eventually. It get him involved some yeah, <laughs> yeah right it just it just that just feels sorry I'm, I'm trying to talk and then also do this at the same time um here we go kansas city tennessee let's see where's the anytime touchdown 
Oh, they don't have the lines up yet for it. All right. Well, either way. Um... Oh, wait. Dewey? Dewey? Bueller? Bueller? It is it is tough to uh, to do it. Yeah, it does not look like they have it up yet. But um, keep an eye out for that one. If you're looking for something fun on Sunday night, maybe win back a little bit of money that you might have lost. Uh, throw a couple bucks in there because I'm sure you'll get pretty good odds. Uh, last up here, Ravens Saints. Uh, this game's in New Orleans on Monday night. Uh, Baltimore is a two and a half point favorite on the road. Saints coming off of the ass kicking against the uh, Raiders, the shutout. Um, not surprising, but Dennis Allen did come out and say that um, Michael Thomas not expected to play for the rest of the year. Uh, mm. Hate to say I told you so, everybody, but I told you so. Mike Evans le- or Mike Thomas least reliable wide receiver in the NFL. Um, He's played three games in the last three years. So maybe that could have been your tell. But, yeah, no more Michael Thomas for the rest of the season. Not that New Orleans is a particularly good team anyway, but it does seem like Monday night, that's typically when we see um, Lamar Jackson at his best in prime time. I love this game for Lamar. I love this. I don't think the Saints play that good of defense two weeks in a row. I don't think they have the bodies to match up against them. However, on the Ravens side, to be fair, Rashad Bateman uh, getting foot surgery, he is also done for the year. So one less pass receiving option. Um, expected to have Mark Andrews back, which should help them after his shoulder injury last week. Um, but we will, I mean, look, it's going to be an interesting game, right? Um, I, I think I think it should be Baltimore's to win or Baltimore's to lose rather. But uh, where where do you stand on this one here, Scotty, with the Ravens minus two and a half? In I'm 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 taking the Ravens uh, because I you know Lamar Jackson at the end of the day again this is the same principle I brought up in in the last game is Baltimore got better on defense so not only are they going to limit a, a mediocre Saints team uh, on the defensive end but this is a spot for Lamar Jackson to to it's like takeover mode in Madden where it's just like dude we got better uh the AF the top tier of the AFC got better and and we're still in the thick of it and I think this is just a spot where he takes over uh and this is a good game to do it against a team where uh that's that's given up a ton of rushing yards this season uh in New Orleans uh, save for last week, which that bad defense just played out of their mind. I don't think they're able to do that this week against uh, a more complex uh, and, and uh, unique offense uh, in, in Baltimore uh, with the added effect of Lamar Jackson. Uh, I, I would take the under. That might be my prop. No, I'm going to do the, uh, the the prop here too in this one. Uh, also with the Ravens, on uh, no number yet, but I would reckon it's somewhere in these less than uh, 10 point range, but I'm going to take uh, the Saints on the fourth quarter spread plus 100. So, say that again. You got the uh, repeat what you just said there for your prop bet. Yeah. So, for the fourth quarter spread in this one between the Saints and the Ravens, I'm going to take the Saints uh, to to cover the fourth quarter spread. There's no number yet. Uh, I would reckon it's somewhere in the in the 10 to, to 12 range. Uh, but once that gets posted, we'll, we'll update you on uh, on Tuesday's pot. But you have Baltimore to win outright, or Baltimore, Baltimore to cover outright. cover the spread. Yeah, Baltimore covering and the Saints to cover the fourth quarter spread. All right, uh, there we have it. That will uh, wrap up our NFL picks. Um, so far, Scotty, you are still in a commanding lead 
Um, I'm getting my ass absolutely handed to me um, in this uh, in this one. But hey, credit to you. You've you you we've all struggled. Look, anyone who's bet games consistently this year knows how brutal it's been. It's been probably the hardest year to gamble on on the NFL in. I think I saw a stat last week that it's like since the 1980s, um, just in terms of underdogs winning. Uh, I know that anyone who does teasers, which I'm not much of a teasers guy, um, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, we're, we're struggling as a collective gambling unit. And I, I am curious too, if this is a trend because of the legalization of gambling across uh, the country, just more and more people gambling are the sharks getting sharper um, or it, is it, something completely different. Right. So, um, nonetheless, we are, uh, getting our asses thoroughly handed to us though. Scotty, you're still 14 games above 500. I'm sitting there, uh, at seven, you're 84, 70 and five. I'm 75, 98 and six and, uh, veto because look with schedules, he's not, hasn't been on a ton this year, but we have been giving out picks every single week. Uh, he's still about 22 games below 500. So I'm barely well, round holding- of drinks on me round of drinks on me. Once I hit a hundred. There it is. There Wins it is. This season. <laughs> well, I'm two away from a hundred losses. Um, but granted, I've I've I'm the only one that's picked every single week. All right. I'm the only one that's picked. Uh, and with that, let's move to our college games of the week. We have five for you. Two unbelievably exciting games at the top of the college football world, and then a whole bunch of nothing after that. Uh Clemson Notre Dame plus three and a half. The fighting Irish, three and a half point underdogs at home. They're coming off their best win of the season. It's a new head coach. Marcus Freeman. This is a big, big thing in college football this year. You look at Brent Venables, you look at Marcus Freeman, right? A lot of these teams get a new head coach after they had somebody there for a while and they have not lived up to the billing. I'm not, I don't blame the coaches. It's just everyone expected them to just pick off, pick up exactly where their last coaches left off. And I think you have to give a little bit of time for a new coach, a new culture, new assistant coaches, everybody to kind of get up to speed a little bit as Oklahoma's played better throughout the year. Um, at least the last couple of weeks, same thing with Notre Dame, but a three and a half point underdog at home. That line does seem low. We know that's a tough place to play with touchdown. Jesus hanging over top of you. Um, where are you at right now with the Clemson being a three and a half point favorite on the road against Notre Dame? Both four and four against the spread this year, tough place to play at South Bend and Clemson's schedule for the rest of the way is, uh, uh, well, it's like a cloud. That's how light it is. Well, clouds are pretty heavy. It's like a uh, cotton candy. That's how light it is. Uh, Louisville, Miami, and, and South Carolina, three home games to, uh, to end uh, the, the year for the Clemson Tigers. This is the spot where if, if it's going to unravel, it, it's going to be here, uh, I would reckon. Um, and, uh, and I think that uh, you know, Notre Dame has played better. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, but I still don't think they're anywhere near uh, the level of football team, especially uh, with a, as well as Clemson knows they have to play uh, in in this game, knowing that it's probably their uh, their uh, their last uh, you know uh, hurdle to get to uh, to the college football playoff. Likely uh, depends a, a lot about what happens in front of them too, but uh, you know you can only control what's in front of you. So I'm going to take the uh, the Tigers here. Uh, to cover the spread. Um, yeah, I'm with yeah. you. I, I I think it's the same thing. I think it's their last big test before the ACC championship. They get the number four ranking, which honestly, based off of how they've looked this year, like, be honest, neutral field, who are you taking, Clemson or Michigan? 
I'm taking Michigan. Michigan. Right? Michigan's yeah. the favorite in that game. But uh, the committee said that they did value the five wins against uh, under, or against teams with a winning record, whereas Michigan only has two. You play the schedule that's in front of you. It's not Michigan's fault. The Big Ten is bad this year, but they're going to have their chance to prove it uh, on a Saturday after Thanksgiving in Columbus. Um, but I'm taking Clemson here this week as well. I mean, look, Notre Dame's played well, but they've also, at least last week, played well, but they've also played looked really bad for the majority of this year. Um that being said, this is likely Notre Dame Super Bowl, and they get to play it at home. Uh, we saw two years ago, DJ Uyunglele went off for 400-plus yards in uh, in this stadium, but I think Clemson gets the job done. I think their defense is too good, and, and I don't think that Notre Dame is a whole lot to write home about this year. Uh, up next, Wake Forest at NC State, top 25 matchup. Look, both we're stretching for games this week because, again, the bottom half, we have two great games at the top, but – this is two top 25 teams. No Devin Leary for the rest of the year for NC State sucks. Wake Forest just got their ass kicked um, by Louisville last week, and they're a four-point favorite still at NC State. I think they win comfortably after a, a bad showing against a, a mediocre Louisville team, um, and I'm saying that because JMU is also playing Louisville this week, so I'm hoping that that transitions and Louisville is coming down off of a big high and JMU can steal a big win against the Cardinals, uh, but I love Wake Forest, Sam Hartman, um, one of the best college quarterbacks in the country. I don't know what his pro future holds because of that mesh offense that they run there at Wake Forest. Um, definitely probably more of a, a product of the system than in just terms of pure talent, but he runs that offense as well as anybody. So I'm going to take Sam Hartman and the uh, Demon Deacons in Wake Forest here to win and cover the four-point spread. I'm with you. North Carolina State has not covered a spread since week two, and they're one <laughs> – they're one, uh, one, two, three, four, and three uh, against the spread this season uh, is North Carolina State. So I don't like any of it. Devin Leary's out. Uh, Wake Forest got shellacked against a mediocre team. This is a bounce back game for them. Uh, in is it Raleigh where North Carolina State is? I believe it, it is, is in Raleigh, North uh, Carolina. Yeah, sorry, Rhett and Link. Um, I'm going against your pack. Uh, it's it's uh it's Wake Forest by a million. Yeah, fuck Raleigh. We don't like that city anyway. All right, up next, Texas at Kansas State. Kansas State, a two-and-a-half-point underdog at home against the Texas Longhorns. Um, Kansas State coming off their best win of the year, an absolute shellacking of the Pokies. Um, I, look, Kansas, we've seen one, one spread similar to this earlier this year where Oklahoma State was a six-and-a-half-point underdog at home against Texas, and that line didn't make sense. This line doesn't make a ton of sense either. But if you're looking for the argument for Texas, it's, hey, Texas has Quinn Ewers. The offenses look pretty good. Texas is still not a bad team this year. They're ranked in the top 25. But do they have enough to take on a Kansas State team that just shut out Oklahoma State and beat them 48 to nothing after Oklahoma State beat the shit out of Texas two weeks before that? So I'm going to roll with Kansas State. I think Adrian Martinez, I think this is real. Um, what we've seen from him this year and what uh, Chris Kleiman has brewing there with the Wildcats. I like Kansas State. We're going to roll with them. Two-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. I like the uh, I like the Wildcats. Manhattan, Kansas. Uh, yeah, the Manhattan of the West. Uh, Quinn Ewers is a, is a winner, uh, and, and he's proven that on the field this year when he's been on the field. I'm going to ride with the Horns because this is another week. They can't afford to lose another game. Uh, otherwise... Uh, all the chance of uh, that we've heard over the past what ten years, Texas is back. Uh, they haven't been back, 
and uh, and they're still not back, but they're close and they're closer. Uh, and they have Quinn Ewers and and a couple of good quarterback, or, well at least the best quarterback recruit coming in next year. So yeah, uh, I, I think Sarkeesian's he's he's right there. He's 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 got another step left uh, to get that program back to I think where it it's used to being, uh, and then uh, beyond that too. And and I think it starts with uh, with winning out the rest of the year because uh, they have to. They can't afford a third loss. Points by 100. It is it is weird to say, and again, preseason, if you had told me that, hey, the biggest game of the year for Texas might be in week 10 against Kansas State, I don't think I would have believed you. Um, <laughs> but I think there's truth in that. I do think that this will be one of the biggest uh, games of the year for, um, for Texas, if not the biggest. Uh, so I, I think it's a good pick. It's just a matter of, hey, is Texas really back? I don't know if we can say they're fully back for beating Kansas state, but look, the way Kansas state's looking and defensively, how good that team looks, it's going to be a big test. I'm excited for that one. I think that's going to be a really, really good game Saturday night. Um, All right. And then the two big ones, Bama at LSU night game in death Valley, 13 and a half point favorites, the crimson tide. Um, That line is big, man. That line is big and LSU is playing good football. They open up as number 10 in the college football playoff rankings. Uh, Brian Kelly has never beaten Nick Saban. This would be a huge, huge win for Baton Rouge, and they're going to have about 100,000 drunk Cajuns just absolutely on their side. Just imagine 100 drunk guys from uh, from uh, the water boy, you know, the, the assistant coach from the water boy. Just imagine 100,000 of those people just screaming at the top uh, of their You can't lungs. understand them when they're sober, so how would you? <laughs> maybe Maybe that's the key. Maybe they get drunk and then they speak perfect English, but – uh, it's, this is the hardest place to play in college football. Night game, big time, nationally televised, top 10 matchup in Baton Rouge. Um, Death Valley is going to be absolutely on fire for this one. Now, look, they have the coldest cat in the fucking country and Bryce Young under center for Alabama. Um, but we've seen already this is not your traditional Alabama team, despite us all thinking they were going to have a big bounce back year this year. They have not looked at that same level. Um, it's crazy. I still think Bama wins the game close, but I think LSU covers the 13 and a half. So I'm going to take LSU plus 13 and a half at home. Think about that double digits, almost a two touchdown underdog at home. When you have the best home field advantage in college football, um, I'm taking the Tigers. No, it's Bama. I like, <laughs> it's just, it's just what they do. They get to November and they just, they, they run through the field. Like, like it's, it's a plow truck. That's, that's just absolutely uh, collecting harvest. And, and again, Alabama's do- double digit favorite, double digit favorites uh, in the top 25 this year have a really good record uh, for the team. That's, that's the favorite. Uh, and so I'm going to, I'm going to roll with the tide uh, on this one because uh, it's a big, huge game. Uh, I don't think LSU is is as good as their their number ten uh, record says, uh, ranking in the college football playoffs says they are, uh, despite a couple of uh, close losses that that have them where they are. Uh, but Alabama is just, and it's going to be, and here's why: because I feel like we're really going to be at the same old story at the end of the year, where it's uh, Georgia plus Tennessee uh, with Georgia, Alabama, Clemson. Uh, trying to figure out which of those teams goes and then it's going to get real interesting in the in the sec uh both with this game uh and the the remainder of the year for alabama plus the game that we're going to cover next but uh roll tide all right roll tide i mean the thing is too is like bama could still win by 10 
and be in control of that game the whole time, and else you can still cover the spread. So I'm just I'm taking the points oh, plus the fact that there's a statement. They need one. They need one. Uh, and last up, the game of the year, arguably Tennessee, number one in the country at Georgia. Georgia is an eight point favorite. I wonder the last time that the number one team in the country was an was more than a touchdown underdog in a game was. Um, that'd be an interesting stat to pull up. May may have never happened. I don't know, but we're seeing it here. Tennessee, uh, eight point underdogs on the road. I'll just I'm saying it right now. We've seen Georgia struggle this year. We've seen Georgia almost lose to Missouri, right? We saw them uh, drag their feet against, what was it, Tulane? Or, or I forget who they Kent. No, it was like Akron State or Kent State that they had earlier in the year. Um, I don't think they're going to come into this game lightly, but I also don't know if anybody has the answer to stop Hendon Hooker in this offense for Tennessee. I love Tennessee. I think Tennessee wins this game and doesn't just cover the spread. I think Tennessee wins outright. I'm all in on the volunteers. I'm going to be in Knoxville for a wedding in December. So I'm really hoping that there's a national championship on the horizon for this team when I'm down there because that city will be buzzing. Let's go Vols. All in on the Tennessee uh, squad here. Give me the volunteers. I am volunteering to take the home favorite because Georgia is going to light this up uh, this is a game again, statement game. This is going to say a lot, uh, or, uh, about how the sec is going to end this year. They want to get back to Atlanta. They want a shot at Alabama again. Uh, it's going to roll through this game and I think they get it done. They're monsters against the spread this year. They're at home. They're six and zero against the spread at home. Uh, and, and I just, I don't see a way that, that as good as Hendon hooker is in the offense for Tennessee, I don't see a way that their defense can, can, uh, you know, be anything less than elite uh, against uh, against Tennessee. So I- I'm going to take the dogs in this one. All right, we're uh, we uh, we separated. We had a good good mix of agreeing and disagreeing on this spot. So we'll see where uh, everything stands on Tuesday. Um, by our next podcast, I'm either going to be celebrating a world championship or we're never going to talk about baseball again on this podcast. So. Uh, we will see. Go Fightings tonight. Um, please bounce back hard. Fun fun fact for you. We love stats on this pod, Scotty. Do you know what the record for teams in the World Series is after getting a no-hitter thrown against them the game before? Yeah, I believe it's 0-1. <laughs> You'd be incorrect. It's actually 1-0. It's 1-0. How about that? 1-0. <laughs> uh, do you know what the record is for the 2022 Phillies uh, after they had a no-hitter thrown against them during the season? Uh, one and oh, one and oh, the numbers are on our side, Scotty, with a huge sample size, nonetheless. Two different games, one of them from the 1950s. But the Phils, if the Phils are a team of destiny, as pessimistic as I was during that game last night, which how can you not be when your team's getting no hit at home in the World Series? They're going to find a way to pull this out. It might go seven games, but they're going to do it. And by the next time we talk on this pod, the Philadelphia Phillies will be world champions. And if not, it will be the end of the Read Option podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We love you guys. Have a wonderful weekend. Everybody be safe. I'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. And as always, take it easy, everybody.